um, <clears throat> Paul finished up last week chapter 9 of uh, John. So we'll be looking at uh, chapter 10 today. Don't know if we'll finish it today, but uh, we'll see if we can. If not, next week. And then we've got, uh, we've got a guest speaker coming the following week after that. So, uh, uh, John 10 is the last chapter in a long section of material which began in chapter 7, which was taught by Larry, Brother Larry. And uh, Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles in chapter 7. Just a little bit of a review we'll go over. I'm kind of following Brother Mazalago and I put in some of my own material in here, but uh, mainly following what he has, he has got laid out for us in his PowerPoint slides presentation here. He's challenged by his family. His brothers ask him to go to Jerusalem during the Feast of uh, the Tabernacle. That's in chapter 7. Jesus goes to the, uh, Jesus teaches the people. He goes to the feast later and teaches the people without any fanfare. Then the crowd is divided over Jesus' teachings and his claims. And then there's entrapment. They try to entrap Jesus using a woman caught in adultery. Now this is in chapter 8. Brother Tim taught that. Uh, there's belief and disbelief, disbelief. Afterwards, some believe and others do not, just like it is now. Disciples are divided, and Jesus loses believers when he tells them that they must obey him to be freed from their sins. They thought they were free uh, just because they were Jews, but they weren't free of their sins. You know, the irony of that, without going over a subject we've already studied, is look how many times the Jews had been enslaved. They had been enslaved by the, uh, you know, by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Grecians, and then by the Romans, they were being enslaved right then. So, you know... Um, of course, Jesus really meant that they were in sin, so he didn't go down that avenue when he talked to them about that. Um, he heals the blind man, and this was done on the Sabbath. And uh, as Paul talked about last week, there's kind of a, a trend going there to where he does a lot of his miracles on the Sabbath, so that just inflames these Jewish leaders even more. And... Um, they accused him of being a sinner for doing that. Uh, he, his leadership is attacked. His leader, the leaders cannot refute the miracle or convince the healed man to criticize Jesus. Uh, he reveals himself to a blind man. The blind man later worships Jesus and shows great faith in doing so. And he rebukes the leadership and even the... Uh, even the blind man follows, uh, has great faith in doing this. Um, Jesus rebukes the Jewish leaders for their spiritual blindness, not accepting him. 
And the blind man also shows the hypocrisy of those Jewish leaders as he proves uh, Jesus can do miracles even though they refuse to see it. So um, I want to make a correction to something I uh, said last week in the comments. I said it was Galatians 5, 4 where it says, let him stand who takes, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. That, that's, uh, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So I don't like to make, you know, not correct something like that that I've said. So uh, uh, here is a, uh, a shepherd with some sheep. And so we start uh, getting into our uh, chapter 10 here. The parable of the good shepherd is the continuation of chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. Uh, the image of the good shepherd and his sheep is used over 500 times in the Bible. Uh, this chapter and Psalm 23 are the most famous of all these scriptures. Jesus uses this image to describe leadership in Israel, both good and bad. And in the future, uh, it's going to be used to describe leadership in the church. You know, uh, we're, we're, cons we're compared to sheep because we're easily led astray. Uh, we have to have someone to guide us uh, because we go off in the weeds by ourselves and kind of do what we want to. But... Uh, you know, Jesus was the good shepherd, and that's, he's going to really explain that in this, in this chapter. Um, this is a, is a shepherd, is a, uh, uh, these are common um, shepherd, uh, uh, sheep groves, I guess you could say. I can't think of the word off the top of my head. The sheepfold that Jesus will talk about was common. There are two kinds. All right, this one is an open field as shown here. And it has stone walls in a circular fashion with a small entrance around. And it's four feet high with a thick fortification. Briars and thorns are put at the top of that. And that's supposed to keep something from coming over the wall to discourage foxes and wolves from jumping over the wall. The entrance is very narrow and it only allowed one sheep at a time to go through that entrance there. Um, once all the sheep are entered into the stone walls, the shepherd actually would lie down at the front of the entrance to protect them so when we get into some of the chapter here, when we get into chapter 10, and Jesus talks about laying down his life for the sheep, this is kind of imagery of that. Each sheep was counted by the shepherd before he went, uh, he went on watch each night. So, you know, this brings the parable of the uh, 100 sheep and the 99 that were that were in the fold and the one that was lost, that kind of brings that to our, to our mind also because that's how close a, a, an eye the shepherd kept on his sheep. This is another kind of sheep fold in which there's a cave. Um, 
a shepherd would then build a wall surrounding the cave entrance and put a small entryway for the sheep to enter through the wall. All the sheep would uh, enter the cave for protection during bad weather. And Jesus was actually born in one of these type of caves near Bethlehem. The manger he was laid in was a hauled out stone used in the feeding trough for animals. So I thought that was interesting. You know, a lot of people think it was, you know, some kind of a fancy barn or something like that when it was probably some little place like this because, you know, there wasn't a lot of fanfare around Jesus' birth other than the wise man who had come and, and that sort of thing. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't celebrated by all the Jews or anything like that because uh, it was uh, not, you know, Herod, for example, he didn't like it at all and had all the, uh, the, the, the babies two years old and younger killed. So, um, so now that we've got some background information, let's begin our study of John 10 and we'll, we'll start uh, the parable itself and into the scripture here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Uh, some sheep folds had a roughly made door used to secure the fold once the sheep were in. And the shepherd also used this door for going or coming. So if an animal or person climbed over the wall, he was an obvious intruder. And you knew he had that they had bad intentions for the sheep. Uh, this was very familiar uh, story to the people of Jesus' time because uh, many of them were shepherds and had been shepherds for many generations. So they knew exactly what he was talking about here. Uh, I'll stop any time that anybody wants to make a comment or ask a question. Uh, to him the doorkeeper opens this verse 3 and 4 and the sheep hear his voice and he calls them his, his own sheep by name and leads them out when he puts forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice um, you know uh it's going to be talking about a hireling, not to get ahead of myself uh, very shortly. And a hireling is not going to be this way at all. That he, he's not going to follow ahead. He's going to be behind. He's more concerned about how much money he's getting for taking care of the sheep instead of wanting to love the sheep and, and um, take care of them and look out for their welfare. Uh, but Jesus is saying that he is the sheep, he's the good shepherd, and he's not going to be like that. Um, so we go to verse 5. A stranger, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Um, this is the first allusion to false leadership. And this hit the Jews right between the eyes here, because... Um, 
they were uh, being false teachers and trying to lead these um, uh, the Jews astray, the, the, the common people. Um, and also there were many different sheepfolds that were kept in the same area. Uh, uh, try to find, uh, I think this next one's a picture of that. Okay, yeah. In the morning, the specific sheep owner would arrive to call his sheep by name. So there would be several sheep folds in, in that big circle up there. This is a different kind of sheep fold than the one we saw earlier and, and the cave. This is where many different folds are kept in this, uh, in this area right here. So the sheep uh, owner would come that morning and call the sheep by name. And so each specific sheep owner, the sheep would be, you know, they say sheep aren't smart, but they were smart enough to know who their master was. So they would follow them, their master. So there would be many, several masters there, and they'd be calling each one of their, or sheep herders, and they'd be calling each one of their uh, folds of sheep. I thought that was kind of interesting. I guess I didn't really know that. Um, and he would walk ahead of the sheep and not behind them. Uh, Jesus emphasized that each sheep only followed follow the voice of each specific owner. I kind of already said that. Uh, the deeper point is if we as Christians know the Bible, we will not by, be fooled by false teachers or we, not, we won't go into a different fold. So... Um, um, Let's see. The, in other words, the, uh, the sheep know their master's voice, each individual one. So, any questions or comments there? Yes, Sam? That's right. Yeah, the devil uh, it transforms into, even into angels, or, or appearingly angels, and leads people down the wrong road. Look how many, you know, false teachers that we have now. It's just amazing, just what's going on. I mean, um, I heard him say the other day that Jerry Falwell Jr. was involved in some kind of a scandal um, you know, sexual scandal, and you know, look, look how many people, and I guess is that the Baptist church that that he's in, uh, you know, Liberty University. That uh, look how many people that he's led down the wrong road there, with the way he's acted. So uh, you know, many more. That's just he's just one. Joel Osteen. There's so many. Why would you let this man happen? But it's our duty to know 
That's right. That's right, Julie. That is so true. We've got to be in the Word every day, and not only in the Word, but live in the Word. And that way that, uh, you know, we'll be able to uh, withstand some of these wiles of the devil, as, as the Bible says. That is exactly right. And the Jews were only one, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. I'm glad you brought that out. Um, so, 10.6, we'll move on here. Uh, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what things were, what things were which had been said to them. So, Jesus knew that his hearers understood the basic principles of the sheep herding process, but he also knew they didn't understand his meaning about knowing false teachers from those that had sound doctrine. So Jesus taught the parable in the next several verses. Um, so we go to 7 and 8 here. So he, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So Jesus is really bringing it home about the false teachers here. There were many before Christ and even after Christ who professed to be the Messiah. And then there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the council, and Sanhedrin, and all them. Well, they were just there to take advantage of these Jewish people also. So Jesus is kind of calling them out there. Um, in other words, he knows what, what they're up to, kind of, so to speak. Um, then we go to 9 and 10 there. Um, I am the door. This is one of his I am statements here. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, so we see the I am statement there. Uh, I am the door. And Jesus declares spiritual nourishment for all those who enter through his door. And protection and comfort. Jesus provided protection against false teachers and le leaders and saving grace for the sheep. Uh, Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, protecting and giving eternal life to his flock. Um, so we go to 11 through 13 is how he's got it seg segmented out there. I am the good shepherd. Another one of his I am statements here. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm sure this really confused some of those Jews who were there. Uh, they, they probably didn't know what to make of that. Uh, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flee and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Um, I think David mentioned in one of his sermons recently that, you know, the uh, 
the wolves are false teachers. They prey on the weak, the wounded, and the slain. And I think that means the slain uh, spiritually there. In other words, those that are not grounded, like Julie said, in the Word. And so the devil is always looking for those kind of people that he can... That are that are down on their luck, or having uh, you know that that they're that they're downtrodden, um, that sort of thing. Having bad uh, things happen in their life, they you know out of work or anything else, and to to lead them away from from Christ. So you know, and uh, the you know this is. The God God used the Good Shepherd in the Old Testament in Psalm 23, and like I said, it was been used 500 times in the Bible. Jesus said He was not only willing to save the sheep, but to lay down His life for the sheep willingly. And this uh, hireling is just paid money to take care of the sheep, and he's like a contract worker or assistant shepherd. So. He's sitting there counting his money to see how much he's going to get while the sheep are being eaten by the, by the wolves. And uh, so he doesn't even go after them. But Jesus said he not only will protect them, but he'll, he'll um, you know, lay down his life for them. Um, so this hireling is only in, interested in personal gain and has no love for the sheep and will abandon them. So we see those kind of people all, all the time. Uh, who are supposedly, uh, you know, uh, preachers and and, and um, they call them pastors and that sort of thing. They're just really after money. I mean, they like uh, Osteen, some of these people whose houses are, you know, like a mansion. I don't know why they want a mansion on in heaven because they got one here, you know. Uh, you might recall in John 2 when Jesus cleansed the temple that Jesus was angry because the Jewish money changers were taking advantage of the pilgrims, uh, the people coming in for the Passover feast, purchasing sacrifice lambs and uh, doves and whatnot. And they were price gouging them and selling inferior sacrifices and doing it in the temple area. So this was a good example uh, of a hireling taking advantage of God's sheep. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of those kind of people in religion and in everything as far as that goes. Certainly in politics, that's for sure. I am the, uh, we're going to go 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So this probably was very confusing to some of these uh, hearers of this. But, um, But Jesus is saying that he knows his true disciples, they know his voice, and they know who Jesus is. And Jesus knows that the, fa- the Father and the Father knows him. They're one. And Jesus will lay down his life for them, and he has authority to, 
both lay down his life and to take it back up again. Um, of course, that was an allusion to his resurrection. Um, the statement there that they will all become one, you know, one flock is a future allusion to the church being established in Acts 2 and then there will be Gentiles included in the church. So um, Jesus is uh, very prophetic in a lot of his language. He always is in the, in the, the Gospels. And so, you know, he's, uh, there's a lot of uh, prophecy in what he's speaking about there. So we move on to 17 and 18. Any questions or comments, just let me know. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down to my own initiative, or in other words, willingly. I have authority to lay it down lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for all the people who truly love me and follow me. And I'm going to do that willingly. I'm not going to do it because, you know, I'm not going to just, it's not going to be because I'm just going to give in and let this happen. I'm going to do it willingly. And I'm also going to rise again from the dead because I've got the authority to not only die, but the authority to be resurrected again because I received that from, from my Father there. Uh, of course, we know that the mission of Jesus came into being before the, uh, you know, from the foundation of the world. Uh, that's in Matthew eleven twenty seven. there. He said, uh, it had been ordained or commissioned by the Father from the beginning of the, of the world. So this first section here, um, we're going to kind of summarize a little bit. Uh, the good shepherd knows his sheep. You, in other words, you can't fool Jesus. He knows his own. He knows the people who are trying to live right, the people who have obeyed him and are trying to stay in the light and, and follow, uh, being followed by the Holy Spirit. And he sacrifices for his sheep, gave, it, gave his life on the cross. He unites his sheep through the church that he had instituted in, uh, he talked about in Matthew 16, 18 and was begun on, in Acts 2. So um, that's, uh, that's the first section there. Um, just a side note, I don't know if I should get into this, but speaking of ravaging wolves, uh, how many of y'all believe that uh, this virus that we're all going through is kind of a tool of Satan to divide divide us as Christians. I really do. Um, our political leaders and our closing churches and not allowing singing in, in California and places like that and really all over the country. And um, I never thought I'd see a time where 
Christianity or the churches were not essential businesses because it, it just, to me, if anything's essential in this life, it's, uh, it's the church and Christianity. So, you know, the Satan is, is, is working overtime all the time to come up with new ideas to, to separate us. And um, so we need to realize that and to, uh, and to not, uh, you know, we need to stand up as Christians to all this stuff. Because uh, there's going to be a time, I'm, I'm afraid, in the near future that um, they're going to try to sh- shut down churches I mean, and what are we going to do about it? Are we going to let them do it, or are we going to continue to uh, to meet and to um, and and to you know, as Hebrews ten twenty five assemble? So anyway, without getting into us into that very much more, I just felt like I, I wanted to say that. Hey Mark, you know, any of us can say that we'll lay down our lives. Jesus is the only person who could say, and I'll take it back up to you. Right. Nobody else could say that, could they? That's, that's very true. Even the Messiahs before him and after him, none of them could do that. Um, I imagine these Pharisees and Sadducees, when, especially the Sadducees who didn't believe in it, but um, they just were like appalled by all this, you know. They thought he was crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they talk about that a little bit later sure do so we'll move a little bit on here we'll see how much further we can get but uh, John 10 19 through 21 a a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane Mike why do we listen to him others were saying these are not the sayings of one demon possessed a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So you know some of these uh, some of these people, the light bulb went out, went on. You know, they finally realized that you know um, when it's when it talks about the um, unpardonable sin, and I think it's in a couple of the gospels, but anyway, it talks about well, can the you know, can, can a, a demon or the devil cast out, you know, cast out itself? And that's not possible because, you know, either, either you know, you're, you're of God or you're of the devil. You're not, you're not both, you know. So this is kind of an illusion a little bit to that. Uh, so the cycle continued after each de- declaration Jesus made. Belief or unbelief continued. Uh, uh, among the Jews there. So we move to 22 through 24. So now we've been talking about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So now we move on to another feast. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. And this was winter. You'll remember the Feast of uh, Tabernacles was in the fall. Uh, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple and temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, "How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." Uh, can you imagine 
it's like, well, what do you have to do? Hit a hit him upside the head with a brick or something? I mean, he's he's doing all these miracles, and he's got all these words of wisdom. He's been in the temple since he was twelve years old, explaining the scripture, the the scrolls of the Old Testament, and they say, why don't why do you keep Keep us in suspense. Or if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. So uh, you know, I just uh, it just. Of course, we weren't back there, but we really hope that we wouldn't be in this situation if we were in the audience there. Um, the feast of dedication took place in the winter in December, and um, it was a commemoration of the. Uh, re rededication of the temple because it had been de- desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes, a northern kingdom from 175 to 164 BC in that time frame, northern king. Uh, so this was during the, the Greek, when the Greeks were um, the power of the world and they tried to uh, put the Hellenistic culture and suppress Judaism any way they could. And this brought about the Maccabean War. And there was a desecration of the temple made there where a, a pig was sacrificed on the altar. And this was do, done during the invasion of the Holy City. You imagine how this had to really upset these Jews to have something like that done, you know, on their temple, a, a, a pig, which was an unclean animal there, was sacrificed on the altar. And it's also been called the Feast of Lights, or Hanukkah, uh, because they still have this to this day, and they burn the lights. And, um, you know, this is supposedly where the lights didn't ever go out, and that sort of thing, over a several-day period I don't know how many days it was. Was it twelve or yeah? So, yeah, it was. A, it was a yeah. Supposedly a miracle there, but anyway, just a little background on the on the feast of dedication there. So this is where when this happens, this part of it happens when they were questioning him there. Right. Well, it's it's really something to have the Son of God being able to be included in those speeches, wasn't it? That was really something there. Um, so we try, go to 25 and 6 there. The Jews asked uh, Jesus point blank if he's truly the Christ. They want him to tell him, they, they've kind of, they're kind of like the devil. They've got an ulterior motive there. Um, they want him to say directly without parables that he's who he says he was so they can charge him with blasphemy. So Jesus, Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You know... Um, 
John 20, 30, 30 and 31 states that Jesus performed miracles and signs so that those who saw them would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So, you know, this is more, this is a more uh, reference to that. Um, Jesus shouldn't have had to told them that he was a Christ. His miracles should have really, uh, you know, proven that he was the Christ. Um, any questions or anything? I guess I'll move on here. That's why you commit the sin of uh, the unpardonable sin. They can see. We don't see those miracles. Yeah. They can see it and they deny it. the Holy Spirit work to do. We don't have that. Right. So we can't commit the unpardonable sin. Yeah. Unless we die lost. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a study in itself, there, the unpardonable sin. But uh, I, I'll stop right there because I don't think it'll be very much trouble to get through next week. We've got um, oh maybe I don't know twenty fifteen twenty verses left, and maybe do a little review before we start, but. Uh, so we'll stop right there, and it was. Uh, I really appreciate the comments and the questions, and uh, let's have a good Lord's Day.